So uh, we have started during this Lenten season a series called Easter from the Backside, and uh, we're, we're not doing sort of the normal journey to Jerusalem sort of thing, but we're looking at sort of Old Testament texts that point towards Easter. Um, last week we talked about um, why do we even need Easter? We talked about that. And today we're going to take a, get a glimpse of Easter uh, from an ash heap. And so um, we're going to be looking at the book of Job. Now, the book of Job can be kind of a difficult book to read. Um, I particularly, I find it to be very inspiring to have Job have all of these things happen to him and yet maintain his faith and continue uh, to praise God. Um, but let me just remind you about the book of Job because I'm pretty confident it's not the book that you read at night to find comfort and peace. So just let me remind you what, what has happened in Job. Um, so Job, to start with, is rich, like kind of like nobody else. He's got seven sons, he's got three daughters, he's got massive flocks of sheep, herds of camel and oxen. Everybody loves Job. And he is a godly and upright man. And so Satan and God were chatting one day and God said, hey, Satan, have you seen my man Job? He's awesome. He's, everybody likes him, and he's an upright and godly man. He is without sin. And Satan says, well, of course he is. He's rich. He's good-looking. Everybody likes him. Sure, he's going to sing your praises. But you take all that away from him, and he will curse you. And God says to Satan, well, that's not going to happen, but you can try. You can take all that away from him, but you can't hurt him. And so, in, in the book, um, messengers come and say, all your sheep are gone. All your children are dead. All your oxen are gone. Everything you have is gone. You have nothing left. And Job rips his robe and says, I came into this world with nothing. I will leave with nothing. I love my God. So, Satan and God were chatting and and. God said to Satan, hey, have you seen my man Job? You took all that stuff away from him. And he's still an upright and godly man. And Satan said, well, of course. But you take his health away, you mess with his health, and he will curse you. And so God tells Satan, okay, you, you, you can do that, but you can't kill him. You can't kill him. And so we read, it boils upon his body, all over his body. He's in terrible health, and his wife at one point walks up to him and says, where is your God? Just curse your God and die. And then, a little bit later, three of his friends show up, and they sit with him in silence for seven days. And then they start asking him, hey, what did you do wrong? Surely you've done something wrong to have had all of these horrible things happen to you. And, and 
Through it all, Job is saying, no, I, I haven't done anything wrong. And, and we read in the text that Job begins to get angry with God. He doesn't understand this. And his, the good portion, a good portion of the book are these three friends helping this guy do some bad theology, helping Job do some bad theology. And remember, the idea of sin back then was if something like this happens to you, 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 you deserve it. You earned it somehow. You did something to make God do this. This is your punishment. And through it all, Job is saying, no, I've not. And he, he kind of gets a little sassy, and he gets angry with God and starts kind of shaking his fist at God. He says, I want to make my case to you. And God talks to Job, and he asks him this series of questions, but like, did you create the moon and stars? Where were you when I created gravity? Where, where were you when I created all things? Who are you to question me? It kind of shuts Job up. And then we know at the rest of the story is that he has restored sevenfold all that he has lost. But the particular text that we are reading today comes from the 19th chapter of Job, and at the end of it, he makes a statement that I believe gives us a glimpse that points towards Easter. Long before we even thought about a resurrected Jesus, Job was pointing towards that. So hear this. It's the 19th chapter of Job, verses 13 through 27. He has put my family far from me, and my acquaintances are wholly estranged from me. My relatives and my close friends have failed me. The guests in my house have forgotten me. My serving girls count me as a stranger. I have become an alien in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must myself plead with him. My breath is repulsive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own family. Even young children despise me when I rise and they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones cling to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me. Have pity on me, O oh, you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me, never satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written down. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and with lead they were engraved in a rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see on my side, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. So, so in this text, Job gives you a pretty good description of, of how his life is going. 
not particularly well, right? I mean, his family is far from him. His breath is so bad his wife won't even come close to him. I mean, children make fun of him. Life is not good for Job. And yet, and yet he makes this claim that my Redeemer lives. You know, there was a time in my life when I thought, because I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm special. And that God's just going to make flowers and sunshine in my life. That ain't true. Because I love Jesus doesn't mean that stuff doesn't happen in my life. Right? I mean, we, we all can have these sort of Job-like moments where life just is crushing us, just pounding on us. And we can find ourselves saying, like Job did, hey, that's enough, God. Why are you doing this to me? We can find ourselves angry like Job. And that's okay. I mean, God is God and we are not, right? But, but it's okay for us to, to be a little angry when things are going bad for us. I mean, lamentations that we heard about on Valentine's Day, right? The Psalms. Read the Psalms. It's okay to be a little angry at God sometimes, but you can't get stuck there, right? At the end of the day, we need to get to this place that Job is. My Redeemer lives. God is on my side. It's okay to occasionally shake your fist at God and say, I don't understand. He's a big boy. He can handle it. And I promise you, you can't say anything to him that he hadn't already heard. I mean, we can find these Job-like moments in our life. And like Job, we need to hold on to our faith. We need to hold on to the idea that God is with me. I mean, the truth of it is, it's really easy for us to sing God's praise when things are good. I mean, when things are humming along and things are great, it's easy to say, woo, God is good. Yeah, all the time, God is good. But when we've lost our job and we can't find a new one, or when we get a, a, a scary health diagnosis, it, it's a lot harder to say, thank you, God. God is good. It, it's hard to do that sometimes when life is pressing down on us. And, and interestingly, I think churches can have some sort of Job-like moments. Maybe we're in the midst of that, between a lightning strike, a pandemic, and Satan cutting our pipes. 
and flood in our church? Well, I don't know that Satan really did that. But, but I have to tell you that these things are happening actually encourages me that we're about to do some great and mighty things in this church. I mean, we, we can feel a little bit like Job as these things pile up. And we can even be a little irritated. But it's not going to stop us. It's not going to stop us from doing what God is calling this church to do and becoming what God is calling us to become. So in, in our lives as we have these Job-like moments that happen to us, and if they haven't, I promise they will. Hate to bust your little bubble of sunshine. Your Redeemer lives. You remember what a Redeemer is? It's sort of an Old Testament concept, and the Gospels don't really ever say Jesus is a Redeemer, but Paul talks about it quite a bit. A redeemer was a kinsman, a family person, who was supposed to redeem land that was lost to a family. The redeemer was supposed to go and pay the price for whatever has been lost, and it is restored. Jesus is our redeemer. He has restored our messed up relationship with God through his death, and through his resurrection. We, we see in this text, Job is pointing towards an Easter, that our Redeemer lives. Unlike Job, we get to live on the other side of Easter. We know the story. We know that the tomb is empty. And we get to celebrate our Redeemer lives. Because He lives, we also shall live forever. That's what Easter is about. That's what Job is pointing toward, a time in which our Redeemer lives. In this text, we get a glimpse of Easter. And as life happens to us, as we have those Job-like moments, we can never forget what Job claims, that my Redeemer lives and God is on my side in the end, I will get to see the face of God. We know that our Redeemer lives because we live on this side of Easter. That's good news. It's good news for the whole world. And we need to be about sharing that good news. Our Redeemer lives. And because He lives, you also 
will live. Go and share that news. Go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. That people might see in you and in your deeds and in your words the love of God. That they see in you a Redeemer that lives in you. Let us celebrate Easter each day. For we serve a risen Lord. Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, we so struggle to understand all that happens in our life. But help us to sing your praise in the good times and in the bad. For you are God and we are not. And we know that in the end, you are with us. You are for us. Even when we don't understand, even when we don't see, help us to trust that you are with us that you are for us. Let us be beacons of your love and your grace for the people in this community. We thank you for all that you do, all that you have done. We thank you that our Redeemer lives. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.